it's always important uh, in life to stop and, and remember things. That's why we have anniversaries. That's why we celebrate birthdays, uh, national holidays. We stop and we remember things because we don't want to forget them. Um, a lot of you know that past summer, Jen, my wife and I, uh, went and celebrated our 25th anniversary and we went on a trip to Chicago. And so I wanted to show you a couple of pictures of things that we wanted to remember. Um, obviously Wrigley Field, yeah, uh, I'm a huge Red Sox fan, but Wrigley Field was, was awesome. Also, uh, this next, next picture, has anyone here seen the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? It's probably my, maybe my favorite movie. I watch it every year on my birthday. And um, that's the house at the end of the movie. They're walking up the street. And so it's kind of this iconic house. And so I wanted to go there. I don't know that Jen was as excited about it as I was. But, uh, but we went. And that's the street. They're walking down at the end of the movie, looking at the house. And we were politely asked to leave when we tried to go in the house. But, um, uh, but we did that. And then this next picture is the skyline. And we were in the city. So we were in and out of these buildings. And we did the architecture tour. And, we would even sit at the, on the pier sometimes and look at the city skyline, and it was really, really pretty. But then one night we went down and watched uh, fireworks off the pier, and when we turned around, we looked, and it, the sun was setting and uh, almost completely set, and this was the, the view of the city more so at night, and it was just really, really beautiful. And so I immediately said, I want to take a picture of this because I don't want to forget this. And then... The last picture uh, that we have is just because deep dish pizza, right? Uh, it's changed my life. It's of the top five things that have altered the course of my life. Deep dish is probably like four of them now. Um, but that's some of the, the food we ate, which was incredible. But we took these pictures, and we even have some souvenirs laying around the house, and things that we have because we want to remember. And at times, we'll text each other pictures and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. Remember when we went here? Remember when we did this? And all these things that, that you capture in your mind that we capture in pictures or things that we purchase are all done because there are things that we want to remember because we don't want to ever forget them. And that's what communion is about. Like when Jesus instituted communion, it was to give us something that we could remember him by and remembering it would cause us to never forget the sacrifice of, of what he's done for us. Communion is a memorial, it's a symbol, something we do to capture, to capture a moment. And when Jesus instituted communion, it was actually part of another tradition that had gone on for hundreds of years. And so he's gathering with his disciples to share a meal, not for communion, but to talk about something that had happened hundreds of years earlier. And he's going to completely reshape that and shift that in the course of the meal that they're going to share together. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week in Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. This is where we're going to, it's going to lead us into the, the Last Supper. The disciples didn't know it was the Last Supper. We call it that because we have 2,000 years of, of hindsight. But for them, this was a, a tradition. This was a meal that they had shared many times together. And Jesus is going to completely reshape the way they view it. In Matthew 26, verse 17, it says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did just as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. Passover meal was something they would have taken together every year. Jesus was 33 years old, about at, approximately at this time. He would have 
been a part of this meal 33 times in his life. And this is a, a, a meal that would have been special and significant. And so Jesus says to the disciples, the, the meal is already prepared for us. He tells them, go into the city and you'll see a man. Now, uh, Matthew's gospel doesn't give us a, a ton of detail, like they're just going into the city to look for a guy. But Luke's gospel tells us that it was a guy that was carrying a pitcher of water. So he said, if, when you see a man in a city carrying a pitcher of water, you'll know that he is on a mission from God. He's prepared this meal for us. He's prepared a meal for a group of people. He doesn't even know who they are. He just knows God told him to do this, and so he's been obedient. And now when, he tells, when you tell him who you are, it'll all make sense. So they go into the city, and they look for the guy carrying a pitcher of water. Now, what would have been unique about that is that was considered a domestic chore. And in the first century, men did not do domestic chores. That was something only women did. No, no, a lot, what a lot of you ladies are in here thinking right now, you're like, if you ever see my husband doing a domestic chore, he's probably on a mission from God too, right? Like, it's not going to be very common that that's going to happen. So they go into the city, and they see this guy, and they tell him, the master needs this. And so now all of a sudden it makes sense to him, this is what this was prepared for. And he gives them access to this room, this upper room is what we refer to it as, for them to, to celebrate the Passover feast. The Passover feast would have been a time to celebrate and remember the original Passover meal that had happened hundreds of years earlier back in the book of Exodus. In the book of Genesis, God appeared to a man named Abraham, and he said, Abraham, if you will leave your family and everything you know and you will follow me, I'll make you a great nation. Abraham obeyed God. Abraham left everything, and God gave Abraham a son named Isaac. Isaac then had, gave, had two sons, Jacob and Esau, Jacob's name was later changed to Israel, and all of his sons and their descendants are what make up today the, the Israelite people, the Hebrews, the Jews, whatever, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're all descendants that came from Abraham. So when Israel had his sons and their descendants, they wound up in Egypt, and when the book of Exodus opens, they are now in captivity to the Egyptians, and they're being oppressed, and they're being abused, and it says at the beginning of Exodus that they called out for help, and God heard them. God sent Moses to speak to Pharaoh, to tell Pharaoh to release the people. Pharaoh refuses, and this begins 10 plagues that God pronounced on Egypt, not only the, the, the land of Egypt and the Pharaoh of Egypt, but also the gods of Egypt. You had things like water being turned to, to blood, locusts, frogs, darkness, not darkness like we think at night, like if you've ever been out in the the middle of the woods maybe, where there is no lights from city, there's no moon, there's no stars, no lights from houses. It's so dark that you really can't even see the hand in front of your face. It would have been that type of darkness for multiple days. Things like lice. Um, it's funny, I start talking about lice and I immediately start itching. You know, like it's just, uh, the, the, the thought of that is, is just horrendous to me. Boils on their skin. All of these different plagues, all leading up to the final plague. The final plague is where God pronounced judgment on the gods of Egypt, and the execution of that judgment was to kill the firstborn male of all families and animals living in Egypt, which included the nation of Israel. God made a provision for the nation of Israel, but they were not exempt from the judgment. They were given an opportunity to provide a substitute. Think about it in, in terms of baseball. In baseball, the, the pitchers don't hit, unless you're Shohei Otani. Uh, pitchers don't hit. There are, there's the pitcher, and then there's nine other people in the field. But when you look at a batting order, the pitcher doesn't hit. There's still nine batters that hit. So what that tells us is the pitcher is not exempt from batting. 
he is allowed to put a substitute in, and it's called the designated hitter in baseball. That person that bats is batting in place of the pitcher. The pitcher isn't exempt. He's given a provision and opportunity to provide a substitute. The nation of Israel was not exempt. If any of the families of the nation of Israel had not done what God told them to do, the firstborn male in their home would have been killed. So God makes a provision and says that you can offer a substitute. You could kill an animal, you could kill a lamb, and you would place the blood on the doorpost of the home. And then the death angel came through Egypt and killed all of the firstborn males. But when he got to a house that had the blood on the doorpost of the home, it says the angel would get there, would see the blood, and would pass over. That's where we get the word Passover. And this began an annual tradition to remember the original event. And I mean, just think about it. Could you imagine having been a part of that? I'm the firstborn male in my family. I know a lot of you other guys in here, you are too. I can imagine our family being a part of that, and, and then now, years later, we're celebrating with our kids, and we're reminding our kids every year, if it were not for that lamb, I wouldn't be here, you wouldn't be here. It was me, and then it would have been my dad, my grandfather eventually, and then an entire limb of the, of the family tree would not exist if, we're, if it were not for this substitutionary sacrifice, if, if it was not for this lamb. And so they would gather every year to celebrate this, this, this event. And they would share this meal together. It was a very organized meal. The meal would include a lamb. The meal would include unleavened bread and herbs, all things that were symbolic of the original event. The meal would in include four cups or, or four toasts that they would take throughout the meal, each cup symbolizing a promise that God had made to the nation of Israel back in Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus 6, 7, God is speaking to Moses, and he says, Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. And from this, they would put together these four cups of the Passover. The first one was to celebrate rescue from Egypt. They were working under harsh conditions. They were oppressed and they were abused. And God said, I will rescue you. The second cup would have been the cup of freedom from slavery. You will no longer be slaves. You'll be free to leave Egypt. The third cup was redemption by God's power as they were redeemed, as they were bought back. Redemption for them began with the, the lamb and the sacrifice for them, and it was fully realized when they crossed the Red Sea. Pharaoh finally lets the nation go. Then shortly after he releases them, he changes his mind, and they, the Egyptian army starts to chase them through the wilderness. God parts the Red Sea. The nation of Israel crosses. The Egyptian army heads in there after them. When the nation of Israel is fully on the other side, God causes that water to crash back together and kill the Egyptian army. The fourth cup would have been the cup of a renewed relationship with God where they would celebrate the entering of a covenant relationship with God shortly after this at Mount Sinai. And the disciples are together with Jesus around this table. Again, this is something they would have all done dozens of times. This would not have been new to them. They would have been led through this meal by Jesus because he was the leader. But after drinking the second cup, the cup of freedom from slavery, Jesus all of a sudden moves the meal in a direction that they had never seen before. At this point, they would have set their eyes to the third cup, the cup of redemption. 
And at this point, they would have presented the lamb, and the lamb would have been placed in the middle of the table, and they would have eaten the lamb together with the bread. At the point where they would have taken the, the lamb and the bread together, this is what Jesus says in verse 26. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took some of the, the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. Jesus says, take and eat just the bread. No mention of the lamb. One of the requirements was that the lamb had to be eaten. The lamb that was the substitutionary sacrifice had to be consumed. So every year when they would honor this tradition, they would eat the lamb together. And so Jesus didn't forget the most important thing. This was a meal with great intentionality. Jesus intentionally left it out. He left out the lamb. He left out the centerpiece of the meal which I don't know about you, but for me, the meat is always the centerpiece of a meal. And Jesus conveniently leaves it out. We went to, to Brasa as a staff one year for our Christmas party. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been there, like a Brazilian steakhouse. It literally will change your life if you haven't been there. They give you a green rock and a red rock. The green rock means keep shaving. They walk around with like meat on skewers and just shave it onto your plate. Like it's literally, I feel like heaven's going to be like that. And so they're walking around and they're doing all of this. And they give me a red rock, and I'm like, what's that for? And they're like, when you don't want any more, you put the red rock down. And I was like, well, you might as well keep that and give it to somebody else, because the only rock you're going to see tonight is the green one. And so there's, when you get there, like that, that's, that's the focus. That's the centerpiece of the meal. There's, there's all kinds of other stuff. There, I didn't, there's a cold bar. Uh, I didn't even bother with that distraction. There's like a hot bar. There's soup. There's bread. Uh, Jen, my protein uh, or my plant-based protein-loving wife. That's pretty much all she ate. But I literally ate nothing but meat. I made it about halfway home before I had to stop at a bathroom. But, but I went there. That's the centerpiece of the meal. Like, that's how I was raised. It's always meat and something else. And this is what that meal would have been like. Every year, they were, every, the entire thing was building to the presentation of the lamb when they would eat the lamb together. And Jesus didn't forget it. Jesus intentionally left it out. I have to ask the question, what's happening? Well, in order to understand what's happening, you've got to think about what's already happened. When Jesus made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem on Sunday and then went to the temple, he was presenting himself as a sacrificial lamb. The night where all of the families would have been picking out the lamb that they were going to sacrifice and they were going to consume together. That at, the, at the, the day and time where they're selecting those lambs, Jesus is presenting himself. For the next four days, Jesus is being examined just like those lambs were being examined. Every step of the way, there, there's a parallel. Every step of the way, this is all pointing to Jesus. Jesus referred to himself as the Lamb of God. John calls him the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus is leaving the Passover lamb out because Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says, there was no lamb on the table because the lamb was at the table. And Jesus, the lamb, takes the bread and breaks the bread and says to them, take and eat this and remember my body that was broken for you. Up until this point, the remembrance was always about a lamb that was sacrificed for one of their ancestors hundreds of years before. And he's taking the sacred moment 
this annual tradition, and he's changing it. He says, boys, I am the Lamb of God. You used to celebrate a lamb from hundreds of years ago, but you no longer look back to a lamb who died for an ancestor. You now look to the lamb who will die for you. He says, I am the sacrifice. I am the substitute for many. And when we take this bread for these disciples, when they took this bread, he says, he says I don't want you to see it the way you've seen it your entire life. Like for us, it's difficult to understand that because we've always done communion the same way. For these guys, they're there to celebrate something that happened hundreds of years earlier. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That was always pointing you to me. That was always done as a foreshadowing of what was to come. And he says, remember my body that was broken for you. Stop and remember so that you'll never forget. And he goes on and it says, he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Jesus goes even further when it came time to drink the third cup together, the cup of redemption, where they would remember the redemption of their uh, being redeemed from Egypt. They'll remember being freed from slavery. And Jesus says, you are no longer going to look back to remember that. You don't look back to remember redemption from Egypt. You now look to me to remember redemption from sin. That because of Jesus, we are freed from the penalty and the power of sin. That today, just like then, we remember the lamb that took our place that was the substitutionary sacrifice for us. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. We look back and remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for us. And every one of us in here, we have to remember what made all of this necessary. It was my sin. It was your sin. The only thing that could separate us from a God who created us in love is sin. The only thing that could separate us. And Jesus became the worst thing that I have ever done, the most hurtful thing that you've ever said, the most despicable things that we've ever thought. Jesus became that for us so that we could have a right standing in the eyes of God, so that we could be reconciled back to God. And just as they had to put their faith in a lamb back in the book of Exodus, because think about that for a second. Try to put yourself in, in that position, those of you that have children. The fear that it's your firstborn son that is going to die, and the only provision that's made is kill a lamb and put some, some blood on the, the threshold of your house and go to bed that night and trust that in the morning you're going to wake up and your son is going to be alive. Like, don't you think there was some fear? This was a God that they had only heard of to this point. Don't you think there was some concern? Because they've seen this God carry out all the other nine plagues. They know he's powerful. They know he's going to do the things that he says he's going to do. And to exercise that faith and to believe that that lamb, that sacrificial lamb, was going to be enough to spare your child, it would have taken a significant 
amount of faith to do that. And just as they had to exercise faith in the substitutionary sacrifice, so too today you and I have to put our faith in the substitutionary sacrifice, the, the, the Lamb of God and Jesus. That it's Jesus and Jesus alone that can pay for our sins, that can reconcile us back to God. And, and, and all along, this is the story that's played out all the way back in the, the book of Exodus. You've heard me say this before. The Bible is only one story. The story of our redemption. Like, that's the entire story of the Bible. And all throughout the Bible, all of these little stories are all pointing us forward to the story. Like, all of a sudden, the dots are connected. This is all making sense to the disciples that, man, that whole thing that happened back in the book of Exodus, that was never really about a lamb. That was always about pointing us forward to Jesus. That every time for hundreds of years when they honored this tradition and they shared this meal together, they had no idea what they were doing, but they were moving one step closer and they were looking forward to the Lamb of God, the substitutionary sacrifice that wouldn't free us from Egypt or wouldn't free us from Rome, but that would free us from the, the penalty and the power of sin. And today we put our faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. We believe that Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. That it's Jesus and Jesus alone that can save us. And this morning, the question I would ask you is, do you believe that Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again to pay for your sins to reconcile you back to God? In Romans chapter 10, it says if we believe that, we simply confess it with our mouths. Like right now, you can tell him, I believe that. I believe that Jesus was the offering for my sin. That Jesus gave his life, shed his blood. He was broken so that I could be made whole. If you believe that this morning, you tell him. We look back and we remember what he did for us. Such a big part of, of communion. Remembering our Savior who is innocent while we were guilty. Jesus who is broken so we could be made whole. He suffered so we could be forgiven. We look back. But not only do we look back, we also look forward. See, see for me, how, how I was raised, communion was always only about sin. Like confess sin, there's a, a passage in Corinthians, we talk about that one all the time, like people are sick and dying because they're taking communion and they're not worthy of it. And so I remember sitting there as a kid, I'm looking at this, this, uh, this cracker and this juice and I'm like, I'm really not that hungry or thirsty. I don't want to die if I take this and there's something I... So I'm like, you know, did I think of every possible sin in every possible scenario? We never talked about the four cups. We never talked about really even the connection between the Passover. It was always about, remember Jesus who died because you're such a horrible person. And the reality is that that, there, that is true. Jesus died because of my sin. 100% we look back and we remember that. But not only do we look back but we also look forward. In verse 29, Jesus says, mark my words, 
I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is speaking of the fourth cup, the cup of the renewed relationship with God. When they would enter, when they would look back and remember how they entered a covenant relationship with God at Mount Sinai. Jesus says, I will not drink this again. He's taking an oath, an oath that had to be marked by the shedding of blood, which he was going to do very shortly. But Jesus essentially hits the pause button on the Passover meal. They get through the third cup, but then Jesus says, we're not going to drink the fourth cup. He says, in fact, I'm not going to drink the fourth cup until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. 2,000 years have passed, and we are still living somewhere between the third and the fourth cup of that Passover meal. Between his resurrection and his second coming and everything that means. And communion reminds us that, that we are in between. We are in between the third and the fourth cup. So much of our life is lived in between. We're living life between mourning and dancing, between conflict and resolution, between crisis and recovery, despair and hope, sin and perfection. And every time we take communion, we look forward to the day when we are no longer living in between. When we will be like Jesus because we will see him as he is. When the pain and suffering of this life is over. Listen, I know some of you have come here this morning and you're carrying a lot of pain, suffering. You've experienced injustice. Like you've constantly fight against despair and worry hopelessness, chaos. Every time we take communion, we're reminded that there's hope for a better day. That one day pain and suffering will be over. All tears will be wiped away from our eyes. I love the line in the third Lord of the Rings movie when I think it's Sam says to Gandalf, well, everything sad become untrue. And, I, and, I, and I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's how that's going to look. But I do know Revelation tells us that Jesus is coming things new. That everything the enemy has taken will be returned and everything sin has destroyed will be restored. And, 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 I, and I love to think about that. I love to think about that because while sin has been defeated, sin still seems to have a lot of, of influence in my life. I may have lost the war, but there are a lot of days where I feel like it's winning the battles. Every time I take communion, I remind myself, I preach the gospel over myself, that sin may have a foothold in my life, but it does not have the victory because it's already been defeated. Hebrews 9.28 says, So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly 
waiting for him. And so Jesus shifted the way they would look at communion, the way they would look at the Passover meal. He says, moving forward, whenever you celebrate this, you're no longer remembering a lamb that was sacrificed hundreds of years earlier. You're now remembering me. And when you remember me, remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed so that you could have life. And then look forward with hope and anticipation to my return. Because here's one of, the, one of the coolest things about this. Jesus was in a room at a table with 12 disciples when he hit pause. When he hits unpause and drinks that fourth cup, we are going to be a part of that meal. We're going to be with him. And it gives us something to look forward to, something to cling to. And so when we take this together, it's bittersweet. Yes, we remember the suffering, but we look forward with hope and anticipation to the day when Jesus will return, when we will drink that fourth cup with him, when sin will no longer have influence in our lives, when we will see Jesus as he is, and when we see Jesus as he is, we will be just like him. So I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. And we're going to take communion together. There's, there's cups under your, under your seats. But I want you to take a moment and I just want you to reflect. Reflect on what Jesus has done for you. Jesus, you stepped down into this world when we couldn't get to where you were, when sin was separating us. You came into this world and you became one of us. And in the brokenness and the mess and the chaos that we created, you stayed. We say thank you. We remember your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. So this morning, I want us to do this together. I want us to take the the bread. I want us to eat this together. And as we do, I want us to remember the lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. and, And we remember his body that was broken. So let's eat together. And then we remember the blood that was shed. Blood that was shed so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could have life. Let us drink it together. And now, Jesus, we look forward to your return, to the day when you will hit the unpause button on that meal when you'll finish that feast and we will join you in it 
Jesus, we say thank you. There are no words to, that we could use to describe our gratitude, but you never asked us to put it into words. What you simply said is that a sign, our sign of love and gratitude will be joyful submission to you. So in this moment, I'm at a place I'm at far more often than I want to be, but needing to surrender again. I surrender control of my words, my actions, even my thoughts. Jesus, I joyfully submit to you as Lord, and I commit to say yes to whatever it is that you call me to. Be praised now. Be glorified now. We thank you for your sacrifice. And it's Jesus, it's in your name that we pray it.